0: Learn more at marines.com on. Go. Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping
2: Go. My name is Matt. My name is Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues.
1: If rugby had a bible he would have an entire chapter dedicated to him. He was made captain of England at 22 years old with only 7 tests under his belt making him England's youngest ever captain. Welcome Will Carling.
0: Thank you Matt. I've <laughs> Never had an introduction like that.
1: <laughs> oh, so how? I guess how's life in quarantine going so far for you?
0: It, it's uh, it's been all right. I mean, just um, it's been interesting. We sort of had the older ones back who are sort of uh, you know married, and then the, the and the younger kids, and it's been interesting to see how they how they viewed it. But Brad, oh, you know, got through it. Um, still all talking to each other, having a laugh at, at dinner. So. Um, yeah. I think I on on a serious note, I just disappointed that sometimes I think our media seem to love bad news, hysteria. And I just think when things get tough people want a bit of hope. I mean, you know, there's enough tragedy around and I genuinely think somewhere along the line we could give people a little bit of hope that we will get through it and things will be will be okay. But that's the that's the slight frustration. But otherwise it's good. Mm. Well,
2: talking more about rugby now, so obviously you became captain in 22, so a very young age. How did you go about earning respect of some of the bigger names in the changing room? It was the amateur era, so how do you balance also having a job outside of rugby and then captaining at the same time?
0: Ah, oh, in terms of respect, I I don't know. Um, I don't know if I ever did. Uh, I think the only way you can do it is um, is is just by being honest. Um, I, I had so little experience, you know, as you say, I was 22, so for me, it was about listening to them, involving them, um, wanting them to, to understand that we needed a change. Um, and you just go about it slowly, I suppose, that, you know, I, I, I wanted them to appraise me and, and early on it, it was it was pretty brutal. Um, but you just try and treat them fairly, it wasn't, you know, I sat on selection and I think, you've got to make the point, it wasn't about what I wanted, it was about what was best for England. Um, how did we end up winning and what was the best way for us to, to win games? So. And over a period of time, I'd like to think that you know, they became uh, and they realised that actually that's what it was all about. To me, it wasn't about me. You know, there was far too much made of captaincy. It, you know, we had a, we had a really good bunch of uh, of players, strong characters. So, and in terms of the amateur stuff, um, yeah, early on, you know, you worked. But um, as I said, I, I you know, I gave up my job, which was a bit crazy at the time. Um, but there was so much to do. We didn't have all the backroom staff that they have nowadays. And, you know, I needed to be in touch with players uh, on, on a regular basis, finding out what they were thinking, what they were doing. Um, I suppose I've been struck quite powerfully when, when I was first played for England. You know, the, the captain, you'd arrive at the team hotel and he might say hello to you or he might not. And it just made me think, geez, he's got no idea what's been happening to me for the last two or three weeks. And so when I became captain, I thought I need to know what's happened to these guys when they walk through the door. I need to know what's happening in their lives. I need to know what sort of state of mind they're in. And that takes a lot of time and effort. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. Yeah.
1: So I want to quickly just draw parallels between 1991 and 2019 World Cup. So you both um, made the finals as England, but didn't quite make it um, and win the gold. What, what did you guys feel at that time? And what should we expect the England boys to feel today?
0: Oh, do you know what? I think lots of different players, say, from from 91 will see things differently. Um, I look back and I think we lost our opening game to New Zealand. Um, And then we lost in the final. Um, And you're disappointed because it'd be great to win a World Cup. But I think if if you're really honest, we weren't the best team in the world. Um, I think we probably were third. Third would be an honest placing. So we could have won, um, which would have been lovely. But... um, did we deserve you know did we deserve it if we played Australia ten times you know I, they would beat us more often I think the difference for me maybe I'm slightly biased with 2019 is I think they played um, against New Zealand and, and against Australia they played as, as as well as anyone in that World Cup um, so they were as good as anyone um, unfortunately just didn't quite get it right in the final so probably slightly more disappointment for them um, in a way than us um, and I just hope that they remember all of that, and in four years' time, um, the ones who are lucky enough to give it another go, will we'll, uh, we'll, will will bring that back to the forefront, and they'll make amends. Mm. So moving
2: on to the 1995 World Cup, you came up against the All Blacks, and in particular, John Lou. What was it like playing against such a obviously physical presence on the pitch and such an amazing player?
0: Uh, it was. I mean, it, physically, he, he was just quite extraordinary. Um, I think it was frustrating that we hadn't uh, planned well enough. We just thought, you know, you, you treat him as a normal player. And, geez, I met him in the 2015 World Cup and um, he was just saying uh, 25 years later, there's still not been anyone as big as him on a pitch, which is quite incredible, really. Um, you know, it's far out, out in the backs. He was just different. And I, I think it became fairly apparent in the first five to ten minutes that we didn't have a plan how to stop him. Um, and, and he won the game. He won the game in 20 minutes. Has never happened to me in a, in an England match, so it was uh, it was frustrating.
2: Mm. In a Telegraph interview, you said that Gareth Edwards was the best player that you'd ever played against, not Jonny Lomu. What what was the difference there?
0: Oh no, I I didn't. I, I, luckily, I didn't actually play against Gareth Edwards, but he's like uh, no, I know. I yeah, I I think he uh, would be. I would rate him as the best player. I think he just. He had skill, he had um, sort of vision, anticipation, he had all the bits. I mean, Jonah was physically quite extraordinary. I'm not sure you would say his skills, you know, in terms of, say, his handling. You know, Gareth to kick off both feet, pass passed off beautifully off both hands. He, You know, he, he had everything. And I think Jonah, um, part of it was just, he was the most incredible physical specimen that's been out on the wing. But I'm not sure you would put his skill level, his anticipation, his reading of a game um, would, wouldn't be the, quite the same as Gareth. So that's where I just think Gareth Edwards could play in any, any generation and he would still be outstanding. <clears throat>
1: I'm quite interested, I guess, in that 9-5 World Cup, so there's obviously the movie Invictus and so on. When you were in South Africa, did you get a sense that an entire nation was backing the Springboks? And did you get a sense that um, some change was happening?
0: No, I, you didn't until the final. Um, and, and I went along to the final um, to do TV. Um, for ITV and I think it was it was only then um, that you realized what an impact it had and then there's the iconic moments of, of Mandela coming out in, in the shirt and presenting the cup and afterwards watching the scenes out in, in the streets and stuff it was quite extraordinary because as everyone knows you know up to that point it was very much a white game um, you know, but they had Chester uh, had played, and Mandela had sort of endorsed it, and I think it it was an incredible uh, night, uh, and I think it had an amazing impact on the country. Which, you know, from a sports point of view, was it was extraordinary to be there. Mm.
2: And then further on, you were then removed as England captain for calling the review committee a bunch of old farts. I think but then, yeah. due to public response, you were then reinstated. So, what sort all of, can you talk us through how you felt during that process?
0: <laughs> um, well, it was only sort of, I was sacked on a Friday night. Um, so it was a TV mm-hmm. interview um, with a guy called Greg Dyke, who ended up being in charge of the BBC. Um, and uh, he basically stitched me up by leaving his microphone on when, when I walked past the camera and, and said, you know, and uh, what happens if it goes professional? And I came out with a line and said, you don't need 57 old farts. Um, then they obviously used that in the programme um, and I got sacked, the president. I spoke to the president. He said, you're no longer in the captain. Um, so that was Friday night. And I, all that really concerned me was I, we were two weeks from a World Cup. And I said, can I play? He said, yeah. So I wasn't really that fuss, But it was the final, um, the Pilgrim Cup final. And the place went mad at Twickenham. I remember sort of watching it. And um, I suppose the, the other interesting bit was that all the other players, they started ringing them up and said, "Will you be captain?" And they all just said no. Um, so then it was on Sunday. I think I got told if you could apologise again to him, they'll they'll make you captain again. And I was like, right. Um, so I went along to a press conference. Um, I think the best bit was a guy, Martin Bayfield, who used to play for England as well, six foot ten, funny guy. And we we turned up because we were training, and he got out of his car at the same time as me. He said, um, "He said, is it true that you're captain again?" I said, "Well, apparently." He said. Jeez, he said, so depressing. It's just so depressing. He just wandered off. And uh, it was just, um, I think, take that to just split up as well. He said, I, you know, I don't know if I can deal with it. Take that splitting up on the same day that you've been reinstated. He said, it's just it's too much. But um, so it was just a bizarre weekend. Um, but yeah, it just showed how bad relationships or the relationships were between the players and, and the committee. And it was that was the whole bit. when the, And the game went professional a few months after that.
1: Uh, I guess, like, for people who, who casually watch rugby, one of the more iconic parts of it is the haka done by New Zealand. Um, would you say, so when you come up against it, would you say it sort of gave New Zealand an unfair advantage? Do you think it should be removed or be your thoughts on it?
0: Uh, no, I think it's brilliant. Um, always have done. And people say, you know, oh, is it frightening to, uh, to face the haka? And you go, well, I don't think it be funny. If you're frightened by that, you might as well just walk off the pitch. It's, uh, it's a challenge um and maybe it 's just the way i 'm built it 's just like everything you know i'm very English very polite, but if you challenge me then um it's like yeah shit uh oh sorry um let's uh okay. let 's play you know it's like excuse me the f- expression comes to you it 's like right um ends in you let's let 's go and play so i i just think it's uh it's brilliant to watch you know it's a bit of it's a bit of state it's stage it's um, it 's a bit of drama but to, to face it oh it 's good.
2: I think that's why the way England dealt with it in the 2019 World Cup was received so well. It's just like, we didn't just stand there and take it. We thought, we might as well do something about it.
0: Yeah, and I think World Rugby have to be quite careful because they then find England and they find other people. And I think you speak to the New Zealand players, they don't have an issue with people. Mm. You know, They're doing their bit. However you take it is the way you want to take it. And I think World Rugby, you get a bit precious about, oh gosh, you mustn't do this for the hacker and you mustn't do that. It's like, they're challenging you. Right? So, allow a team to react the way a team wants to react. Let them mm. get on with it and then play the game. But, it's not the New Zealanders never get precious about it. It's, mm. It sort of seems to be everyone else around it.
2: Yeah, it seemed a bit ridiculous, Joe Marler getting fined because he was, what, half a yard over the halfway line.
0: I know. I mean, and where's that ever um, going to make any difference to anyone? It's just yeah. like, Marler never knows where he is anyway. So, might, you know, I'm um, surprised he made it onto the pitch.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, at the moment, so there's a line store happening next year. There's a lot of talk of Tojo being captain. Um, I guess so. He's still 25 at the time. So if it comes around next year, he'd still be pretty young. Um, with your experience of being a young captain, do you think he's ready for it, or do you think it's too young? Or?
0: I, I think he's a he's a very intelligent guy. He's um, he's got a great he's got a great brain. Um, uh, he's got a great rugby brain. He's an incredible athlete um, skillful player um, I think you know he will be in the second row with a another so I can understand why people are talking about him as a, as a potential captain and he's just when when he plays well he just has a huge impact on on a test match so he'll be 25 26 then I think he's um, he's easily capable of dealing with it if, if it comes that way I think there's all sorts of other candidates you know Owen being being one of them um, but uh, I think Marrow is he's one of those guys that he's going to be uh, one of the first names you put down when, when you're picking, even now so I don't see any issue with that at all
2: mm. There's a lot of talk about selection so we had Hugo Monia on last week and he gave us his 15 I was wondering, the centres seems to be one of the most hotly contested areas of the game is your opinion on who you think should be starting at 12 and 13 because you could potentially stick with England's Farrell and if you had another fly half in or Ugo said that uh, would have. Ugo, Ugo.
0: Who did Ugo go with?
2: Uh, Manu and Guy Rose, I think. Uh,
0: you see, I'd go with Manu and uh, and Slade.
2: England through and through.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not that I'm biased, but um, <laughs> I would. I, I think Manu is is just exceptional for. But I think Slade is a just a really really clever footballer. His mm. skills just exceptional.
2: Anyone else who you think deserves a mention who could be in around that area?
0: What from uh, centres?
2: Any other centres who?
0: Nah, you know it depends whether Davis. You know Welsh. Um, he's an exceptional player. Um, you know Ringrose is. You know there's there's a number, but um, yeah, I I'm obviously I'm hugely biased, but Davis. You know Manu Slade, those three. For me, a uh, uh, sort of uh, top So
2: if you've contenders. got Slade and Manning in centres, does that mean you've got Farrell at 10? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's looking a bit, a bit biased,
1: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I remember you, Um, I remember you said on the House of Rugby podcast that you are quite interested in sort of, you enjoyed watching The Last Dance recently. Who, who do you yeah. think if they were to make a version of that for rugby would be a good sort of person like the Michael Jordan of it
0: um I think it's someone who's uh done something very special so you need to look at a Richie McCall um Dan Carter one of those guys you know they won back-to-back World Cups hasn't hasn't been done before um you, so it would be it would be hard to look at anywhere else apart from that um you know people might look at Martin Johnson but um he doesn't talk enough to do a program on it. <laughs> so, uh,
2: <laughs> but Sierra Kolese, modern version, he's obviously yes. got a hell of a story.
0: And I think that that would probably—I was about to say—that would be the only other um, place that you, know, you could look at. And I think, you know, from his background, where um, he's uh, he's developed as as a, as a as a man as a as a player, would be mm. uh, be pretty special. So I think him or um, or Richie McCall,
2: mm. that'd be a hell of a show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get a lot of views. Um and so talking about going back to captaincy again. So if you had so who's the best captain well up at the moment, would you say?
0: I don't know. And I think it's almost impossible. You see, you think um we we all look from the outside and and you just don't know. It, you know, it's not just about the results. Um so you know, people would if if, if that's it then it, you know it's South Africa it's here, isn't it? You think he's he's the best, but we don't know. Um, we mm-hmm. don't know what happens within a team you don't know uh, in terms of new zealand you don't ter- in terms of owen alan wynne jones you know there's all sorts of of um, stuart Hogg you know captains out there but i think that's the hardest bit is is captaincy just about the results or is it um is it about what you've achieved in terms of of the players and and how they've developed so i think it's it's an incredibly hard one um, to answer i think there are some great captains that always are but i think that the truth is it's only um, members of teams who really understand um, how, how good they are. And yeah. I think that's the bit that, that I look back and not put myself in, the, in those leagues that you think you're judged by stuff that um, is, is out there in, on, on the pitch. You're not judged by the stuff that, that really matters.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, so the recent 2019 World Cup, so I guess we touched on it earlier, England fell short in the finals. What do you think was the main reason for that?
0: Uh, I think um, they'd had, had a, a hard run in. Um, you know, you think you got Australia uh, and New Zealand. Um, I think Australia. They, you know, I think it's emotion more than anything else. And I think you know they they got up for the Australia game. New Zealand regarded as the best team in the world. It's it's a massive challenge, and they got up for that and played unbelievably well. I just don't think they managed to get themselves back where they needed to get to for the final. And I think the South Africans had, a, um, <laughs> all due respect, a slightly easier um, passage to the final and just managed to peak. And their intensity was, was extraordinary. And I think it's tiny margins and they started the game well. Their scrummage was, was incredible. And England never really managed to get a foothold in the game. How on earth we were only sort of um, six, nine points down after sixty minutes, I've no idea. I mean, that, that that's something that you, you you got to admire because we were we were battered by them.
2: Yeah. Um, so, moving like looking towards the future now, what are your thoughts on the current like proposed changes? I know they've actually stalled in the last twenty four hours. So, of the international rugby calendar, so the alignment of the North and South Southern Hemisphere.
0: I think it's a great opportunity um, to come out of of the, of the sort of the, the tragedy and and whatever has happened with with COVID. I think it's a massive opportunity to look at the big picture um, and to get rugby aligned, um, to, get the, to get the season to, to focus on um, the best tournaments, uh, to give players a uh, chance to, to recover. And if clubs, if all the people can't understand what an opportunity is, then you think it'd just be incredibly disappointing if, if they waste it. Um, and I really, really hope they don't. Mm.
2: Um, so what were your recent thoughts on the re-election of Sir Bill, and Bill Beaumont then for World Rugby Chair?
0: Well I just think, I hope rugby can be very conservative, it, it, it resists change, it has done for a long time and there's a lot of people out there saying that's what Bill Beaumont is, it's just the same, um, it's comfortable, it's, it's non-challenging and I hope, I hope that Bill realises things have got to start changing um, in terms of uh, encouraging you know, teams, island, the island, rugby nations, um, in terms of finances, structure, player welfare. There's a lot of things that actually really need to change. And I hope he doesn't just spend four years um, perpetuating the the same. So it's, you know, the the challenge is there for him to to take and I I hope he does take it. Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah. So I guess one thing about rugby at the moment is that some people argue that it's becoming perhaps too far on the professional spectrum that sort of the relationship between players and fans are starting to become isolated. And I guess, so Super Rugby, um, Aotearoa, just started this weekend. And we see at the end of each game, sort of the players come down or the fans go onto the pitch. They take pictures, meet the players and meet their idols or so on. Do you think this is what rugby is missing? Sort of this flavor of amateurism?
0: Um. Maybe. All, all I know is, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to get to know the, the current England boys and, and I've just been um, blown away by um, the, the characters. They are just a, they're just a great bunch of guys and I think um, people would enjoy their company. They, I think they handle themselves incredibly well. And I know I read somewhere recently that Eddie uh, Jones wants more time to link, you know, the England team and community rugby and I think if, if the season was organised better, I think if, he, if they had more time with them, that could be done. And I think that would make a, a huge difference to, you know, kids, people who want to play rugby because, yeah, I think, that, I think the England team at the moment are full of some really, really when you good talk characters. about these
2: good characters, so obviously we're quite a young side. So looking forward to 2023 World Cup, Who do you think England have got a good chance? Or personally, I think France at home World Cup, the way they played this year, I can't see many game in front of them.
0: Oh, I can. <laughs> hey then. Uh, no, France will, yeah, of course they will. But um, I think, uh, you know, you look at um, across ours, you know, the, the, the Sinklers, um, you, you look at Marrow, uh, you look at Underhill, you know, Curry, you think of some of these young guys, I mean, Slade's still young, Anthony Watson is, is, is extraordinary, uh, Johnny May Owen will still be around. Most, a lot of them will still be around. There's probably three or four who, who definitely won't be. But, um, you know, that's very, there's a lot of experience um, and, and I hope that, you know, there's, there's a lot of experience from, from last year, which, which they want to put right. So I think France have, have some real talent, um, but then New Zealand, uh, South Africa, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. But I, I think we are going to be there or thereabouts for sure.
1: So you mentioned Carl Sinclair and I guess he's talk of the town in terms of props. How much of an impact did that have on the team win? When- you left the field a couple minutes in the final.
0: I, you know, it, it's hard to say, isn't it? But it's just that's one of the things that, that happens in a, in a game of rugby and you've got to be ready for it. Um, I think uh, a little bit more than that, just I think our set piece, they, they really focused on their set piece, especially their scrum, and it was, it was outstanding. And uh, we were probably just a few percentages off and it made all the difference. So him going off certainly certainly didn't help us um but being honest him him staying on i think the way that they were scrummaging yeah but then what the hell do i know about scrummaging <laughs> little. Yeah.
1: are there any sort of main candidates that you think could be the england coach after eddie after he leaves like ben ryan is one that some people are talking about
0: yeah i think it's a big ask to go from um from sevens but i'm, I'm sure he's, he's a talented boy that he could i'm biased i think uh, um Dean Richards is a uh, is a great character, um, and very very shrewd judge of a rugby player and and a man. So um, I've always been a big fan of him. Um, but you've got you know Baxter, Exeter, and you think so McCall, So I think there's a, there's a few around, that I I'd like to think you know we go back to uh to a, to an English coach. Um, I think Eddie has has been outstanding. Um, and he's, you know, he's a highly intelligent, um, progressive coach. And I think lots of people have learned a huge amount. But, yeah, I, I think um, we we have coaches, English coaches, who are capable of taking it on for sure.
2: I think we're just going to, we drawing to an end now, but one thing which we've asked at the end of every single one of our podcasts is we've asked our guests their, like, highlight of their career, their favourite moment, which they wouldn't trade for anything. I was wondering what yours was.
0: Um... I think uh, for me, it was, uh, and I mentioned it in, 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 um, in the other podcast, was uh, after my last game as, as captain was was being taken out by, by Jerry Guskett into a pub and, and all the old guys um, had come down um, for a beer and the, the Winter Bottoms, Teagues, all these guys who were my heroes who had looked after me and they were all there. And I think for me, that was just a massive moment of just, wow. Um, you know, it's it just a—it was a gesture that just, yeah, made made me sort of think oh, I must I must have done okay because, for me, rugby, uh, and everyone's different. The the real goal for rugby was nothing to do with the crowd. You know, the, they don't know you. I sort of said that it's it's not about the media, it's not about the crowd. It was about your teammates, and I think for me, it was always about wanting to earn their respect and and being okay and never wanting to let them down. I suppose. When you walk into a pub and you see they've showed up, you just saying, okay, hopefully that means I've you know, earned their respect. And for me, that was the most important thing.
2: Mm. That's a great story. Well, I think that's what we've got time for, but just a massive thank you, Will, for Matt. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. you no, so hey, much. it was a pleasure. And then thank you everyone else for listening, and we'll see you next week with our next special guest. Thanks, guys.
0: Podcast Network.